there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I have great news. I have new TV channels at home. I'm perhaps a bit too excited about this. And if somebody had told me 25 years ago that when I'm 46, I will be super excited for getting a few new TV channels at home, I wouldn't have believed that. And the reason for this is uh, I went to the store to get a new phone for one of my kids. He said he wants an iPhone now, and we are an Android family. So I struggled a bit <laughs> with the thought, but yes, we went to the store, we got the iPhone, but while I was checking out, they casually asked for your home address and number and whatnot. Then they checked it. Well, the internet connection I have at home, I'm paying X for that. It's actually less than that nowadays. They just didn't bother calling me to tell me that I, <laughs> I, I have... I have a lower price, but what they can do is they can lower the price for me and they will throw in a, a bunch of free services. And one of those services includes about a dozen or two dozen new TV channels at home. <laughs> and I don't really need to watch TV that much. We watch a couple of series mostly, and that's about it. But I went home, I plugged in the new system, and I have now CNN and BBC and Al Jazeera and France 24. And... <laughs> It's interesting when you're watching CNN or BBC in the morning, the news cycle and focus is so different from the usual local news you would be watching or Al Jazeera, it's, it's fully different than what I'm expecting. So it's enjoyable. I'm a bit too excited about this, but I will get used to this. <laughs> yeah, the things we get excited about these days compared to our youth is uh, astonishing. I can say that I have not had any TV channels for more than 10 years where you actually plug your TV into something, you get the channels and whatever. We've been using streaming services since they came out and still do. And I'm living happily ever after with those streaming services. We don't watch that much TV or TV shows. So on my side, I have a little bit of a reflection. I think I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that I bought a robo vacuum cleaner. It has both mopping the floor and vacuuming built in, and I schedule it to run every day. As a result of that, I keep my floors clean and not because of the robot, but, you know, obviously that's a big part, but because I make the rounds in the entire house every single morning, picking up all the stuff from the kids, my own stuff, you know, the stump, stuff for my better half and so on. A day's worth of having a great time with the family usually leaves, you know, more than a thing or two on the floor in the evening. And now I just get to enjoy clean floors all day. If I take those about two or three minutes, that's all it takes, like a mental block to say, oh, man, I need to pick up everything from the floor. That is a, has been a mental block for me. That, Wow, that must take a long time. It takes literally less than three minutes. And I do that every morning, and now I have clean floors every day. So it's a small change in my, in my life, uh, but it's pretty good. So in summary, I bought the robot to avoid the stress, stress of cleaning, but then ended up making a routine of picking everything up from the floor myself and... It has a pretty great impact on the feeling uh, when I get indoors. So my home office is in a different building. When I get indoors, I have these shiny floors. feels like they're brand new. Uh, it's a great feeling. So just a reflection on where I thought I would buy a robot to do everything for me, but I end up actually improving my own routines to prepare for the robot to do its thing. Uh, and it works out. I like this thinking. So you got a robot to watch you clean for the robot. It it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, but I'm 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 the same. 
we used to have a cleaning company come to our house every two weeks. And before they arrive on Wednesday morning, you spend Tuesday evening cleaning so that the cleaners can clean the rest of the house for you. It makes no sense, but that's for some reason, that's how it should be. Already today, exploring Microsoft's generative AI for beginners training material. So we're checking out something that probably be both, both feel is highly relevant, but it's also super interesting. So it's less fluffy, it's more actual content and, and useful information that you can dive into. And this is the Generative AI for Beginners course, which is, I think it's open source, it's on GitHub, it's available. I almost implied that if it's on GitHub, it's open source, but definitely it's not like this. But I think this specific repo is open source as well. Would you agree on this? Yeah, so this repo is uh, public, so anyone can access it. Um, it's a pretty popular repo. I, I went back in the commit history and it's not that old. So it started in, I think, June 2023 or something like that. So it's it's about half a year, a little bit more. It's been forked more than 10,000 times and starred 20,000 times. So there's you know, a popular interest in this specific topic uh, and it's pretty great. So it also comes with a hosted website. So if you go to microsoft.github.io slash generative hyphen AI, hyphen for hyphen beginners. Uh, a lot of hyphens in there. We'll put the link in the show notes to both the Gitto repo and to the hosted pages. That means you can browse through the training material on your browser, as opposed to navigate to GitHub and then checking the raw kind of material there. To so get a hosted website, you can use as well. And it, it's pretty, uh, pretty popular. So speaking of popular and generative AI. We've talked about generative AI a couple of times and it's, it is highly po popular. So when we now dive into this specific course, do you have any like concept of, uh, you know, who is this for? Who, who want to take a look at this type of course material and, and why do we want to talk about it? So I'm inclined to say this is for developers, but it really isn't. So, so there's code involved. Let's get to that in a bit, but I'd say this is for anybody and everybody who wants to understand more on generative AI beyond just the end user interfaces. So what I mean by this is that often when you're talking with people about generative AI, perhaps they might say, yeah, yeah, I've been using JetGPT. That's great. But you're, you're the end user essentially. Are you integrating that with anything? Are you using the APIs? Are you building on top of the models? Are you doing fine tuning? Are you tweaking anything? Are you uh, testing the different parameters? Are you sampling the outputs? And if you're doing none of that, you're just using the end user capability. It makes me feel myself, if I would only do that, it makes me feel back in the day when I still used Facebook, that I'm simply browsing and viewing something that somebody else built for me. And I want to understand it a bit more deeply so that I can I can come up with ideas, how can this benefit my productivity? And it's not just about prompts. Mm. I feel there's more to it. So for anybody mm -hmm. who wants to learn more about generative AI, who wants to build, build on top of these capabilities, but I wouldn't say you have to be a data scientist to understand this. So in, in a way, I feel a lot of these courses, they sort of box the whole large language model and the transformers and the inferencing and everything else, they sort of box that as, as, as a black box and say, this is the box, now we learn, now, now we'll teach you how to interact with this box. And, and that's, that's well and often good enough. 
Yeah. And I, I really like it because it's it's also for people who want to learn a little bit about those LLMs, because I know that the first couple of lessons or modules, they will talk about LLMs or the large language models, generative AI, of course, being the focus. Um, but it also talks about use cases and ideas. Like imagine you're a company or you're a startup and you're building this solution. How would you do that with uh, generative AI? Well, that's what this lesson is about. So that's what I like about this. It's not here's how you enable vector search, right? But why do I need it? You know, what's the thinking behind, like what's the business justification here? Why do I need it? That is the question I always ask. Why, not the how, because the how we can always figure out, you know, one way or the other, we'll figure out the how to do something. But why do you need to do it? Is it gonna give you better returns? Is it gonna make your offering better? Is it gonna solve a customer problem? You know, what is the justification for this? So there is also like a mixed bag of use cases and ideas throughout the lessons, which is interesting to read through, just to get a kind of a grasp of how folks are thinking around generative AI, including the ones who built the course, of course, saying, hey, this is uh, this is the use case where generative AI could be applied and this is a solution we're going to, going to build now. So I, I really like that it couples not just, hey, here's a step to run this PowerShell script or run this Python thing. And then after that's done, you get this result, copy paste that into a CSV file and send it off to service. That's not what it's about. It's coupling the idea, coupling the use case with the actual implementation as well. And I really like that. So the course is really what it says, like a generative AI for beginners. It is spanning the entire spectrum of what you need to understand. So even if you're a decision maker, right? If you are an IT decision maker, if you make decisions for the internal IT, if you make decisions for the IT that you implement in your solutions for customers, this is also interesting because it will enter you to generative AI and large language models. Uh, it will explore and compare different large language models and things like that. So it will tackle things like the responsible AI and prompt engineering that you mentioned as well. So it will have a bunch of different kind of angles to it that is not just like you mentioned for developers, but also for anyone working or being exposed to or having ideas on how can generative AI help my business. Then this course might be a good fit for you just to get an understanding of the landscape. Doesn't mean that you have to do all the exercises and run through every script and everything, but it might make sense to do what I did. I just scanned all the lessons. And then I built an understanding of, all right, there's a couple of interesting things here that I could use if I built my business, if I built, you know, on, on top of some of the distributed SaaS services that we built or whatever it is, then I would know where I need to explore more and kind of what decisions I would need to make. So I'd say it's it's both for the ones implementing, but also for for folks who just need to understand the landscape. So if, if you're a decision maker and you need to understand how can AI or generative AI help, this might be a good fit as well, just to get introduced to the different things from a single place, as opposed to just, you know, go search for for generative AI and then start dwelling into that. Here you get everything in, in a box. This is what you need to learn, top to down, in this order, go through it, and, and you're going to be a lot wiser when it comes to AI. Agreed on this one. And I, I feel since generative AI is relatively new, for everybody, at least on this level that you're actually utilizing the models for real business applications. I, I feel we are all on the verge of something new. So you have to have this mindset of, of, of like a five-year-old. Explain it to me like I'm five. Let's start with the very basics. And I feel in IT, 
many people have been working in IT with tough, complex problems for 15, 20, 30 years now. And it might require a bit of internal adjustment mentally when you start going through something like this. Yes, you know everything about IT, but this is something else. You can still apply those findings, but you have to approach this as something totally new that you haven't really been exposed to previously. And for something like this, and a beginner's course is, is simply great for this one. Yeah. And you'll also see a couple of mentions of the Microsoft for Startup Founders Hub. That's something that's mentioned quite a few times throughout the course as well. And um, that's really just a program to help startups kind of accelerate your innovation and provide access to industry-leading AI services. So Azure OpenAI uh, and, you know, the generative AI services within Microsoft uh, Umbrella. Uh, you get, you know, access to experts and, you know, the all the technology that you need to build a future-proof kind of startup. That's the kind of selling point of that. And the, the reason I mentioned that is because that is mentioned throughout this course as well. Uh, and I think the reason for that is um, this is really valuable. If you're a company that's starting up, if you have an idea that you're bootstrapping or launching, um, looking at Microsoft for Startup Founders Hub might be interesting because there is a good program where you can get Azure credits and you can get Azure uh, or OpenAI credits. So you can actually kickstart whatever business you have. Um, so I've been in similar programs previously where Microsoft supports you with Azure credits. Uh, they support you along the way as a startup. Uh, it's extremely beneficial um, if, if you set that up and get into a program like that. So you have to apply for that and you know justify it in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but you'll be able to remove the kind of immediate blocker of, hey, I need Azure credits and open AI access and whatever other kind of technical and financial limitations I have to try this idea. Because if you have a really good idea and you can pitch it and Microsoft can say, well, that is really interesting. We're going to support you because this is something we want. Uh, we want running in Azure, for example. They might say, hey, we're going to get you into that program. Um, so take a look at that. That's, we might do an other episode on, on what that entire thing is at some point. But I've got really good experience from the inside as a customer. So really from the outside in that sense, as a customer um, being inside the program. So I, I, I do have a lot of experience and a lot of good positive vibes from that. And and that kind of unblocked a lot of things that I did in my past as well. So I just wanted to to put that in there. You will be exposed to a couple of links to those things. And it's good to know that, that it exists because one thing that you will learn as you go through this is there is a limitation to the amount of credits you have in Azure. There's a limitation to the amount of tokens you can burn in Azure OpenAI services and stuff like that. So it's not unlimited. If you have a great idea, but it requires processing hundreds of millions of records uh, through generative AI APIs, that's going to cost you quite a bit. So always be mindful of the of the cost. So that might be a something to unblock that. But enough is enough about that. What does a typical lesson here look like? Let's Let's say we're now starting to take a look at this. What will I learn? in each lesson, not technically, but how is the, what is the structure of this? Like, did you take a lesson? What what was the experience? What are the kind of things you're gonna be exposed to here? So yes, I did take a lesson and I think I did the same what you did. I skimmed through more or less all of the lessons. I didn't really ingest everything, but what was relevant to me at, at a time. And the different difference between 
a highly produced Microsoft Learn lesson is that this is a bit more freestyle. So there's often a video intro. I think that's embedded from YouTube. There's the actual lesson, which you can read at your own pace. And then there's code examples for those lessons that you're about to learn, perhaps a Jupyter notebook, perhaps a Python sample on something. And it's up to you to figure out how, how do you want to run those. So there's guidance on how you can set up for the lessons. But what I usually do, I, I just don't set up anything. And then when I come to a bit that, oh, I need to run Python. So let's figure this out first. And that often tells me more what I need to learn than using like a pre-set up environment that has everything that I don't know anything about. And it just works because the next time I go to a customer and they're asking something about this, I, I'm like, well, I have no idea how it works, but I, I was <laughs> able to use it. Where's the pre-configured environment that I can use <laughs> exactly. so I can apply my learning? <laughs> exactly. So so that's why I'm willing to sweat and get small paper cuts along the way in figuring out how do we get this up and running. And that often teaches me more than typing out those two lines of Python for, for something where I'm expecting to know roughly what the result is going to be. And then there's additional links and, and resources and whatnot. One fun thing about this, and this is a habit of mine, I need to get rid of that habit is that if I see a list of lessons, let's talk about the lessons in a, in a bit, but if I see a web page with a list of lessons and each, each lesson is a link to a different page, what I usually do is, is uh, I middle click or, or, or I simply open those links in a new tab. Then I hop to that tab with a keyboard shortcut and by habits, I click on the on the content of the page to sort of get focused for the scrollable bits. Because often on newspapers you have a scrollable bit and then you have a navigation. You have to click on the on the content to actually scroll with the mouse. And here the main prominent bit that I always seem to click is the video. So it always hops to YouTube and starts playing the video. I'm like, no, no, I want the text. I don't care about the video at all. I will later later have a look at that if I have the time. But rarely do I have audio enabled and rarely do I have the time to focus on a five, 10 minute video or whatever the length is. Did you did you actually go through any of the videos yourself? Uh, so I, I did go through, well, I can't say that I went through a full video. Um, let's be honest there. I am, I think, a practical practical learner, just like you are. I think this course is aimed for beginners. And when it comes to generative AI, I think we're all beginners in most of the areas, uh, unless you're like a data scientist and you have a long experience with LLMs and prompt engineering. Now, um, you know, I, I tend to learn the same way where I scan the entire course and I figure out here's what I need to learn. Here's the gaps I've identified in my knowledge. This is what I really need to understand. Then I start from there and say, how do I set up my environment so I can start using these things. How do I set up kind of instead of, hey, run the script and you'll get a predefined environment. I'm going to say, how can I do this in my situation for my customer or for my project, the thing I'm running? How can I apply this and kind of fine tune it? So I also, I'm, you know, learning by doing is something I've done all my life. That's how I get most things done. You know, you can do learning by reading. Obviously, that helps. Video is not a format that I usually do, but I love that you have the option to say, hey, let's use the video or let's use the text to get introduced to it. 
that's it. I did take a look at some of the lessons and there are some pretty interesting stuff in here. Um, so I think there's a total of 11 lessons as we speak where there's actually 12 and the, you know, the first one, which they put number zero on is just setting up your environment. And that is, you know, making sure you have the right tools installed. Um, you know, that creates a code space. You store your API keys, you kind of configure it, you install Miniconda. If you want to do that, you need to use Visual Studio Code with the Python extension, like prepare the tools and the environment you need to kind of go through all of the exercises. So that's just the kind of setup. But then it kicks off and starts by talking about introduction to generative AI and LLMs and exploring and comparing LLMs and using generative AI responsibly. So, you know, these are just some of the first lessons and coming back to what we talked about not being specifically for developers only. All the things I just said, those are great for developers to understand, but it's good for everyone to actually understand. So just taking a look at you know the first one, their intro to generative AI and, and LLMs, it's pretty good. It gives you a scenario. It says like, hey, we're an educational startup. This is our scenario. This is what we are. This is what we need. And um, you know, how did we get generative AI? And they talk about that. Um, and I think that's pretty interesting. So it it breaks it down in a less technical way and a way that, you know, average Joe could understand, if you will. So I could explain it to a, a member of, of my family to say, hey, generative AI, that's this new technology. If they would read this training, this first lesson, they would understand a lot more about it. And none of them work in tech, right? But if it would be a training saying, hey, this is how you tokenize things and you know, dive right into those things, that would be pretty tricky. And uh, so it does talk a little bit about tokens and stuff like that, but this it's it's at the right altitude. I really, really like this. Um, then it gives you the assignment and kind of a knowledge check at the end, just making sure that you actually paid attention to whatever you just learned in that lesson. But again, it's self-paced. You don't get a, a shiny certificate afterwards. What you do get is an increased experience and knowledge that you can use in your projects, which is obviously awesome. Um, so I really like that. Like the first uh, first one, just talking about um, generative AI and LLMs. And then the second one really talks about different types of LLMs. So you have like audio and speech recognition, you have image recognition or image generation, text generation. And like what is a foundation model versus LLM? Uh, you know, it will dive into these different things and also open source uh, versus proprietary models. That's also a thing you need to think about when you like kind of choose your model. Because like you mentioned before, like if you're the end user today, you kind of just go to ChatGPT or any of the other kind of generative AI services and hey, here's a question for you and you get something back. Done. You don't have to think about anything. But if you're building a solution, it makes sense to understand the LLMs so you can choose the right model because that's going to impact your cost going to impact what results you get. It's going to impact what capabilities you can offer through that uh, to your kind of employees or to your customers, depending on how you use it. So I think those kind of two first lessons diving into LLMs are really good, really, really good. Because I thought I understood a little bit about LLMs. You know, let's say it's not a focus area of mine. I thought I understood, I understood it quite well. And I do understand some technical details really well. But then reading these two courses, that kind of took it, elevated the altitude a little bit and took a step back and said, actually, here's the bigger picture of LLMs. 
because I was focused on like if you use Azure Machine Learning, how does the LLM fit in, and how do you do this, and how do you train your models? Very specifically for this one track, I was thinking about this takes it back a notch and, and raises the altitude a little bit and say, hey, this is the wide landscape of LLMs, and this is why you need to understand it. Because I I wasn't thinking much about open source versus proprietary models, right? But it's a thing you need to think about, and the lesson will tell you why. So I, I think that's like my two favorite, if we talk non-technical uh, kind of lessons, building up to an understanding of generative AI, that would be the first two real kind of lessons outside of the set up your environment lesson. So intro to generative AI and LLMs, and then exploring and comparing LLMs. Those are kind of my favorites when it comes to understanding the bigger picture, but also being able to explain this to other people later. This is going to help. Interesting stuff. The first two, I yeah, I did skim through those. Perhaps I didn't get that much new information from there, but bits and pieces here and there, and I can definitely say they are useful. The third one on using generative AI responsibly, I I had a nice issue with this last night. I was I was playing with some of the uh, text to image generators like DALI three. It's now available on Azure OpenAI and Stable Diffusion XL that I'm running locally at home. I was playing with those, trying to figure out the limits and trying to figure out what sort of prompts do I need to do. And my six-year-old was, was, was hanging next to me and asked him, hey, hey kid, what should I generate? What sort of a picture should I generate? Give me something. And he gets this huge smile and goes, yeah, let's do a Fortnite character shooting in the air in Lego. And I'm like, okay, let's try this. So you type Fortnite shooting in the air and immediately you get this content safety warning that yeah, Fortnite not going to fly. <laughs> shooting, yeah, not definitely not going to fly. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm using this responsibly now. So then I asked the kid, so so anything else? And he goes, yeah. So Spider Man and Venom, Spider Man. I think it's the Spider Man in in the black suit, and and they're swinging in the city and fighting. I'm like, well, let's do this. Let's just do Spider Man and Venom in the city. Let's not do fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was expecting it to slap slap me on my wrists again, but surprisingly, I got a couple of really really nice pictures out. Where Spider-Man Spider and Venom are drinking coffee at yeah. Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And for some reason, it didn't sort of sort of uh, slap me for Spider-Man or Venom, which I feel are are uh, property of Marvel. I think so. So you need to understand all aspects here for content safety, the filters, everything else you can build in there. And then once you understand the basics. I feel the the AI for beginners course takes you through prompting. So prompt engineering sounds fancy, but essentially it's understanding how do you instruct one or multiple models at the same time and hope to get the desired results back. And prompting, the basic prompting is trivial. Anybody can do that. If you've ever used ChatGPT, you just ask something and you get something back. But the more advanced prompts you start doing, the more complex it becomes and you sort of have to be creative at the same time and that's that's sometimes a challenge because you you're, you're so deep into the technology and now you have to have this free flow 
creative artistic style in the prompts and yeah it's a little bit different mindset so mm. there's two lessons dedicated just for prompting advanced prompts and whatnot and they actually open up the whole prompting aspect to python and for me programming in python has never been a thing for me it's c sharp powershell linux shell scripts it used to be c plus plus and turbo pascal but python is now the chosen language here so you also need to brush up on that a little bit in order to enjoy some of these lessons in this course yeah and i i agree like the prompt engineering stuff is really really good i took a look at the uh, the prompt engineering basics or fundamentals as well um and we did have an episode on prompt engineering as well in in this podcast so if you're interested in in our thoughts on that and the different kind of engineering techniques that you can use with prompt engineering uh, find that episode and and listen to that that was a really good discussion as well and what i feel with these training materials is that they uh, they really talk about what prompt engineering is but also uh, gives you an understanding and an understanding of tokenization and why that's important like the llm uh, that sees prompts as a sequence of tokens and these things are important to understand if you're going to build it yourself or you're going to select the right LLMs, if you're going to understand the cost and impact of using uh, a specific model. And these things will uh, will come in handy. So it does go through some basic prompts, some complex prompts, uh, some instructional prompts where you say, hey, this is the input I have, this is the, the output I want, and this is the type um, of prompt uh, that this should be. All, all of those things are things we covered in that other episode as well. So we'll find a link to that and put it in the show notes. I don't actually remember top of my mind what episode number that was. Uh, and obviously I didn't prepare to look that up before this uh, this talk. So I do agree, like the ones I mentioned, LLMs, those two intro, and then these uh, like generative AI uh, using that responsibly, like you mentioned, super important, but also to understand why you will get these warnings and say, hey, this is not, this is going to be in violation of, you know, some policies that will give you an understanding of why. Uh, then prompt engineering is really important. But then much of the remainder of the course, like up until this point, it's about understanding what is generative AI, what is prompt engineering, what is responsible AI, and what is the prompt engineering fundamentals. Cool. We we'll understand that now. We have at least the basics. We we set the scene. Now the rest of the or a lot of the remaining kind of lessons is about building something. So it's about building text generation applications, building chat applications, building search apps, building image generation uh, apps, building low code AI apps, uh, and then of course how to integrate external apps uh, with function calling. So so you can have a method or an API and you can call that and integrate with other apps. And finally, then building a user experience for AI apps is, is kind of the final lesson there. So I don't want to dive into any of those, to be honest. I All of that is in the lessons. Is there anything that you want to pick out from any of those that stands out that you would say, hey, these are things you need to take a look at? Or is that more like the way I see it is I'll see building chat applications. OK, cool. That is what I need because I'm building a support system where on the website there will be a chat bot you know, taking whatever uh, questions the user put in, we're going to send it off to our LLM or to our backbone generative AI system, going to provide them an answer, trained on our own data, yada, yada, you know, whatever the kind of business case is, then I know that I'm going to go to lesson number seven, building chat applications, as an example. Or is there some 
kind of other angle that you have to how you approach that? Uh, probably the most interesting one for me is the lesson number nine, building image generation apps. So obviously that will be DALI or Midjourney or Stable Diffusion or whatever platform or models or engines you choose to use. And in a sense, building text generation applications, chat applications, search applications, image generation applications, something else, they all work more or less the same. You, you need to have prompts. You, you can tweak those. You can have system prompts. But beyond that, you're expecting something back, an image or files that were found with the search application or text generated based on your prompt. For me, image generation is exciting right now because it's a little bit different than just generating text and it requires a GPU. So you get to tinker with hardware as well, which, which I feel is, is more fun than just with text on hardware. Uh, but beyond those, there's two more lessons after the building, building something, uh, integrating with external apps, with function calling and designing UX or AI apps. And I do have to say, I didn't even bother opening the last uh, last lesson, <laughs> designing UX. I'm like, yeah, nobody cares any of that. I can just use AI to generate UX for me. Do I need to know anything about this? Did I create it the right way? No, you did not. Here's a room for improvement. Okay, click apply, done. <laughs> exactly. So I, I like that it's, um, it's a total of 12 lessons. And they are not too lengthy, meaning that you can sit down, you can choose one lesson, you can spend 30 minutes on that or whatever, and you're good to go. You get immediate action points and immediate information that you can utilize this newly gained knowledge on building something on that. At the end of the day, it is about prompts. It is about interacting with a REST API. That's about it. There's plenty of things to tweak, but if you just want to get something up and running, those are the two bits you need, and then you are good to go. Alrighty, I, I think we've sort of exhausted our thinking on this generative AI for beginners. Uh, in the show notes, we have the link for, for the website. From there, you can find link to each of the lessons, as well as the link to the videos, and, and you can fork it and run the code and, and, and whatever else. And it was also episode 191 when we spoke about prompt engineering techniques. That was about six months ago, so it was in 2023. The link for that also in the show notes. The last bit, the unexpected question. And Toby, I think it's your turn to ask me the question. Yeah, I just had, like, as we went through this conversation, I just had a an epiphany that I really need an answer to. And, and this is a question that's been with me, you know, ever since I read Winnie the Pooh as a kid. So if a kangaroo wore a tie, would it wear it at the top of its neck, like us humans, or at the bottom near its pouch? That is the most important question of the day. That's a great question. And and I'm sort of inclined to, to pick up this, this idea if a kangaroo wore a tie. And what I do have, I have a Dolly 3 running on a, on a browser tab, and it's thinking now it will take about 30 <laughs> seconds to come, come up with something. Let's see what it's telling. But while we are waiting for that result, and I will share the picture also in the show notes, I think we can add images there as well. Before looking at the picture, I know it's ready now, but before looking at the picture, I'm thinking 
a kangaroo would wear a tie like top of its neck but i'm having a hard time imagining what a kangaroo's head looks like now i've never seen one live i'm i'm entirely unclear <laughs> how it would look but let's 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 have a look at the picture so so there's a black and white picture let me just copy this we are using OneNote for for our our notes so let me copy this and if OneNote is synchronizing Toby you should be able to see the picture as well the result is one kangaroo with no tie and then there's another <laughs> kangaroo with a nice men's shirt and a tie like a human being would wear it and it, it actually looks quite okay what do you think all right i i can't see the image yet because it's obviously one out trying to do its cloud sync so I'll, I'll have to watch that this afternoon probably uh, so I'll, I'll take a look at that uh but uh, yeah i mean sounds reasonable that the tie would be worn around the neck uh but yeah it's it's one of the bigger questions in my life right now that i needed an answer to so i'm gonna i'm gonna look at the picture when it arrives in in one out yeah, so now we know. <laughs> All right, this was fun. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. See you then.